Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoYouConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peak. We're here, episode 115 with Becca and Bryce. Hello. I'm excited. Hey. How's everybody been? Pretty good. How about good. you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Good. <laughs> going, going good. Kevin, how are you? Anything uh, new going on in your world? Yeah, my oldest daughter, we've homeschooled all four of our children. Well, the youngest one is just starting homeschool. He, he's five. Four, gosh, Avery is almost 14 since she was in second grade, I think. And she was going to go to a co-op yeah. program like two or three days a week um, before it was just once a week on Friday. And she wanted to see other kids more often and do a little bit more social stuff. So that was the plan until Sunday night. And then COVID disintegrated the old program. And so there's only going to be five kids in it. And they were going to meet in some lady's garage with like uh. self-designed clear plastic containers uh, for weird. safety and just was, it was weird. <laughs> so yeah, I did not think I'd have someone in school. In fact, with our builder partners and with you guys, it's been kind of like this whole school drama. I can't relate to it. And then suddenly I could, as my daughter was like, they're like, there's no way you're going to get like, you'll get in school, but you're not going to have everything ready in time for the first day, which was today. And somehow we made it happen. She sent a photo of her and four friends at gym class. So things seem to be going fine. I'm just hoping there's not tears when you pick her up, but so far so good. She's got a first so soccer good. practice on the school team uh, this nice. afternoon. They're scrimmaging the boys team. So that'll be interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. Cool. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. All yeah. of mine are almost out of the house. We're in Florida. So one started uh, two weeks ago, then the other one started this past Monday. And then the next one starts this coming Monday. We'll see if that changes. As always, I watch the weather and there's some tropical things that are supposed to be um, hurricane by Monday, Tuesday down here. So we'll see if it gets delayed. That would that would totally fit 2020, like first day of school. Right. Nope, just kidding. Hurricanes here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, let's hop into story time. We've got a great guest on the show today. So we'll try to keep this part a shorter period. Who wants to start? I guess I'll go really quick. So I've been camera shopping, camera researching, Ooh. finally pulled the trigger on one. And I decided that that whole process was it just amazingly fun. It was, I love it. It was fun. It was awful. Like I, that's why I kind of kept, I don't think I ever, I've mentioned it. I think Becca, like when I'm like, yeah, I'm looking around, but yeah. I kind of like wanted to self direct as far as like, watch this YouTube video, listen to this one. And there's so many opinions on it. Like I, like I couldn't even imagine if you're a marketer and you have like, yeah, whatever you want to spend, just pick, pick whatever's good. And there's kind of no constraint or like, here's two grand or something. If you're at a builder, like what camera do I get? And you go on YouTube and like, this one says this and this, here's the features you must have. And you're like, I don't even know. I need to shoot homes. And like, I guess we'll do video a little bit, but I guess it could be overwhelming. And this kind of, I guess, ties into the, to the uh, real estate news article that we have on box, box Browning. So mm -hmm. I finally settled on one, just, which is good. Took, took a bit, took a bit of time. And, and what is it? It's uh, a, yeah. so Canon M50. Okay. So for my use, well, I went with that one. The autofocus on that one, it's kind of like the standard, not the standard, but like if you're like best vlogging camera type of 
deal or like uh-huh yeah value. it's a, it's a good value option for for good vlogging value. and video yeah i thought you mm-hmm. the m fit the m5 is that the one that just came out the r5 whatever it is it just came out that like overheats in 15 minutes and you have to turn it off i thought that was what you went with nah, this is a better so, option yeah yep. so this one it's like but then there's minuses to this thing and then i was looking at the sony a6 whatever that was a little bit more and you get in this like i feel like you could easily be like oh what's 100 more and while I'm in this budget category, what's another couple hundred more? <laughs> and all of a sudden, well, yeah, like, and Becky, oh, you know this too, because you're a yeah. photography buff like me. The camera almost doesn't really matter nearly as much as the lenses that you're going to put on it eventually. Yeah. And those are usually more yeah. than the camera. So mm-hmm. that's, I'm like, <laughs> that's oh boy. What, that's where I thought you were going, because it definitely makes it hard when you're shopping for camera equipment, because it becomes a little bit like people with their high school football. Like I... Yeah. When I went to my sure. school, it was too small to have a football team. So if soccer was our big thing. So I didn't get into the Friday night lights and all that business. But man, my brother's family and other people are like high school football, like our school district, our team. Blah, blah. I'm like, do you have do you know the kids? No, but it's our team. And I, I and I guess it's the same with college and sports. But for high school, it always seems stranger to me. I mean, yeah. But in real estate, you've got that kind of built in thing of when you ask someone's opinion. Like you said, Andrew, they're leading you. It's like, well, you don't want to live over here. You want to live over this place. I also happen to live close by. Like they're, you're getting all these other opinions and biases as part of that versus mm-hmm. just what is the best place for, for me and my family to live. And that's one of the things that makes an online salesperson so valuable to someone who calls in is here's someone who doesn't make a commission off of which location you choose, but can help you really yeah. narrow down those options. Because in, cam- in the camera world, you can't really listen to almost what anyone says unless they disclose to you how much money they've already put into a system. You know, someone, I was watching right. someone the other day mm-hmm. and they're like, I definitely wouldn't go with the Sony blank. And then two minutes later, he's like, I do own $40,000 worth of Canon lenses. So Ooh. yeah, I'm not you'd switching to, PS for anything else. Admit yeah. that you're wrong by recommending yeah. something else and no one's going to mm-hmm. do that. But it's almost like you could go wrong uh, with some of these, but in this category that I was looking and like the, five to 700 range. There's like three choices and they were all pretty much the same, mm-hmm. but this one I went because of the autofocus, I think on that, yeah. unless I wanted to bump up to the next budget category, which I really didn't want to. Yeah. Um, this was, yeah, the they're one. all good cameras. Yeah. Yeah. At that it's price point. Be fun stuff. Oh, and it's a little bit like sports equipment. Are you going to look cooler if you use a different one? Maybe, but are you going to get the same maybe. basic result? Yes. And I won't look like cool. 8K <laughs> was the new thing that came out in the latest Canon uh, yeah, for video. that's fancy. You're going to need a new computer and five new hard drives if you're going to shoot <laughs> yeah. in 8K. That's what I was well. thinking. Even <laughs> like um, what prompted this was trying to do things with my iPhone. That's miserable for video on your, like it just not made to do that. It's made to stay on the phone and then do things from the phone. So, Yep. Awesome. Yeah. My first one is a reoccurring theme, but it, it came up again twice in the past week talking to larger national, semi-national, super regional, whatever term you want to use, very, very large home building companies who have cut dramatically back on ad spending, like like 50% or more. And in talking to them, they both had a similar theme that I was, I was still surprised by, which is that they're heavily using landing pages for almost all paid search activity. Hmm. And so... You, know, you type in new homes, Columbus, Ohio, new homes, Dublin, whatever that term is, it's going to a landing page versus the site itself. And <laughs> it's like, 
you had a problem with lead count, you didn't have to turn it off to that extreme angle. Of course, I'm, I think I'm still the only person who's loudly said for ever since March, like slow it down, spend less, invest in other areas, but you don't have to, if you're cutting by 50%, something else is happening. And in these cases, something else was happening was everything was going to a landing page. And so of course, pandemic hits, housing importance skyrockets for people. They're doing more searches than ever. And you're driving all of that to landing pages. Mm-hmm. And the reason really, and I might've mentioned this last week is when you're focused on the right, small, highly focused keywords, you can do other things that will slow down them reaching out to you. Like I was on a call today with someone and we were talking about the, the need for more online salespeople on their team as well as the trend of not having walk-in traffic and everything going by appointment, but still letting walk-in traffic come in without having the salesperson there using a U-Tour or enter now type system. And it just hit me. I, and, and I think this works. I'm curious what you guys think. I said, imagine if every one of your website users had to interact with your online salesperson. This was a smaller builder in Louisiana. What if the 24,000 people who came to your site last month all had to interact with Haley? That would be a problem for Haley and yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. And yet that's what we do with, with traffic to our model homes is we say, nope, 100% of them have to interact with a human being. And there's no, like, are they ready to interact with a human being? Is it beneficial for either party? Beneficial and necessary, I think, are the two questions. And so what I think EnterNow and YouTuber and Rentley offer is a way to allow the same thing that a website does, which is come on in, take a look around. Here's our pictures. Here's our description. Here's our pricing. Now, are you ready to engage with someone? If so, hit the button, text us back, FaceTime, answer the online salesperson's call. Man, I started out talking about landing pages. How did I get here? But I don't know. This, <laughs> the, this idea of you're just forcing more of those interactions, the form fills, the things that create the need for the customer than to have an expectation of you doing something. Mm-hmm. And so just get rid of the landing pages. Continue doing paid search. You can refocus the quality of the of the terms that you're going after. You might need to, to trim that down. You can also adjust the calls to action on the site. There's other things you can do. But before I cut my budget by 50%, I might cut it by 15 and turn the landing pages off. Yeah, I think the landing pages could have started out as a, oh gosh, is this really what our cost per lead is from Google? I always thought Google should be lower. And then landing page is like, oh, look, that fixes that. Now we have a $20, $15 cost per lead from Google versus $100 or $150. But I'm sure the you know 10% of those leads are the actual good ones they're getting from the landing pages. So really your cost per lead is the same, but what you think is better is just you have those extra bloat in the system with more leads from those landing pages. But you're just lying to yourself, maybe. That mean, like you're, you're making your numbers look better, but really it's not any better. Yeah. And I'm not even sure it's, it's been focused on cost as much as just sheer volume, which that's again, it's like, well, we, now we got the volume. So turn that thing off versus shutting. Like, like you said, it was, it was solving some other problem, either volume or cost and neither one of which you probably need to be overly focused on. But Bryce and Becca, both of you have been doing quite a bit of trimming in the paid search world or really for the last several months. Yeah. 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 That was just story. Number one, story number two (laughs) is I'm really excited 
to talk a little bit more about the Pulse 20 groups, which I think is we teased and you're going to see content and ads and all kinds of great stuff because this is our big event coming up this fall. We still have the Online Sales and Marketing Summit coming in 2021. That's not going away. The Pulse will continue in 2021, but it will just look a little bit different. But one of the things I'm most excited about is the Pulse 20 groups, which will allow you to go through the entire event with a group of 10 to 20 people who are in the same role as you are. So if you register and in the, in the job description field, you put online salesperson or marketer or leadership, you'll be connected with people in similar roles and we'll curate those groups up until September 15th. And then as long as we can after that, but the volume of registrations, it'll be hard to keep going. You'll still be in a group, but what we're working on is a way for you to be able to have two channels of conversation basically available throughout the entire thing. So while the keynote sessions are still happening, Mike or I are presenting, or Scott Stratton from On Marketing, or Jeff Shore, or Melon Diesel, or Rhonda Conger, you'll be able to talk with the crowd. But I think what most people are going to be excited about doing is being able to throw back and forth ideas or questions about, do you do that? How does that work for you? Anyone have an answer to this within a separate chat channel of just your 10 to 20 people who you, who you will already have had a chance to meet before the event even starts. So it's, it's like a small Builder 20-like scenario for the event. And someone posted on our Facebook channel uh, group just the other day, like, I, I need to know more people, I'm realizing, in the industry as a whole. And then here's your opportunity to, yeah. to, to do that. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that a whole bunch of marketing unicorn groups will kind of spawn from that, particularly on the marketing side, where you can just keep in touch with that group of people and once a quarter or every other month hop on a quick Zoom call and keep that connection for the rest of your career. Yeah. That'd be super exciting to have those. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of groups potentially. Yeah, it is. And that's why we, again, we'll curate them. You know, we like playing matchmaker who should know who, Oh, you should definitely talk to so-and-so one <laughs> other thing to keep in mind because the ticket price is certainly much lower than the online sales marketing summit, which, you know, with travel and ticket price could easily get into the 2000 plus range per person. The ticket price for the pulse is four ninety five. And so what a lot of people are doing is they're having multiple people from their company attend where before maybe you wouldn't want to pay for the sales manager who doesn't really get involved directly in online sales or marketing to attend. But now they're saying, if I can get this person exposed to how this works and, and have a better understanding, it'll make all of us better. So one of the things we are going to have to circle back through that I didn't think about at first is, do you want to be in a group with other people from your own company? Like if there's two marketers mm -hmm. or two salespeople, Ooh. you know, it's a little bit of like, do you want your security blanket? Beth from Stylecraft is like, they aren't going to be in my group because I will do all the talking for both of us. And so they need to go, mm -hmm. they need to go in their own place and, and flourish with their own group of people. <laughs> but I, I just think it'll be awesome to, to be able to not just pass. It'll be less of a passive experience, hopefully, because you'll constantly be interacting with those 10 to 20 people. And then we'll have separate breakout sessions as well. But I think that's going to be awesome. So I'm excited about that. Oh, look, one more story piece. Oh, I think build for rent, which is a term we'll define if, if it makes sense quickly. It's where builders build BFR. a home and is, instead of selling it and making, you know, 20 to 30% one time, they rent it and make money forever on that home that they built or until they decide to sell it off to an investor. Uh, but I think build for rent is going to become much bigger. It already has gotten a lot of press still as a percentage of the market, relatively small. I think it's going to get huge over the next five years. 
because we've talked about interest rates creeping up, you know, physical objects are becoming harder and harder to get. First, it was toilet paper, then it was bikes and boats and Pelotons, and now it's wood and windows and everything else. And, and so what that causes is inflation. You know, supply and demand gets out of whack, prices go up. And once we have a vaccine and that inflation has hit, the Federal Reserve, I think, will move pretty quickly. And that's still probably six months to a year out to this. But I think rates could quickly jump right back to four, four and a half percent or even higher. And the rates going down, all that's done is hidden all the extra expenses that people have had from current price increases from lumber and labor and land and everything else. And the only other way to keep homes semi-affordable will be to, to allow you to rent them. And this really hit mm -hmm. me. I was watching an interview with a company that's trying to compete with Tesla, and they're going to come out with a single electric vehicle. You will not be able to purchase it. You will only be able mm -hmm. to rent it month to month. Now, in that but rental, it will take care of no down payments, no security deposits, or less no maintenance. It's an electric vehicle, so you're not paying for gas. That's interesting. But that, but that makes oh. it, yeah, it's electric. So your entire expense is that one payment. But Bryce, Monthly if you payment. decide, you know, hey, uh, Bryce is going to have a baby. She's not, I don't think, expecting a baby. But if she has a baby and she knows she's not going anywhere <laughs> for a month, it's like, take my car back. No big deal. I'll get basically the same car back later. That, that helps with affordability because that car maker can make money every single month on that car. And I don't think there's going to be another really great option. One other one that someone threw out yesterday was more like 40-year and 50-year mortgages. Hmm. But I mean, Bryce, I'm just picking on you because you're the youngest here. <laughs> Does the idea of a 50-year mortgage on a home sound exciting? Not at all. It's like, I'm never actually going to own this anyway. Mm -mm. Yeah. So I might as well go ahead and just rent the nicer, better home. Yeah. So I, I really do think build for rent is going to be a it's going to be one of the ways that we're going to navigate the time it's, to come when interest rates rise. It's budgetable as well. Like that one-time mm -hmm. payment, that one-time expense that you know, and you can make sure you're going to always have it. And it's nothing's ever changing. It's constant. Exactly. And no risk. I mean, you lose mm -hmm. your job. Oh, see you later, landlord. <laughs> you know, it's or, or right now, forbearance. Everyone's in forbearance who can't afford to pay a rent payment pretty much. So yeah. And there's, it's a new home. Like I think most people think about single family homes that are rentals, at least I'm biased because of where I'm at. It's always the older home from the fifties or sixties. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's maybe updated once in like the late nineties has granite countertops, but still yep. old cabinets. And you're like, eh, it's, it'll work. And the AC is terrible. So then like the power bill's awful, but like, oh, this is bringing home. I'm willing to pay a little bit more than those, but it yeah. still will be much cheaper than buying because interest rates probably will be higher. Like you said. So yeah might be forced into it. That'd be interesting. I'm interested to know what it's like on the development side, like the owner's standpoint. Well, that's the hard part is it's, you're not making your return on your investment as fast, right? Mm -hmm. when, you, when you build that home and you go to close, you get all the cash back at once. And so a lot of the smaller builders are having to make partnerships with people who are providing additional capital and then they're mm -hmm. sharing the profit distribution on the other end. So it's a slower burn. You're, you're not becoming an overnight bazillionaire, mm -hmm. but you have, just like you said before, dependable, steady income, mm -hmm. more or less. And eventually, once you do cover your costs, then it's 100% profit, more mm -hmm. or less. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely rounding up. But once you pay mm -hmm. off that loan, 
to the bank, you can keep running that house forever. And that's why a lot of people in this business, Mike Line, I think Mike has eight rental homes that he he does that way. Now his process was different. And if you're young in the business, really young, this is an interesting model to follow where every time he moved, he didn't sell his current home. Mm-hmm. And so that allows you to get better rates because you can, if, if you already own four homes and you're going to go buy another rental home, the bank is not going to give you good terms on that. But if every time you're buying, you are buying another home for you to live into, it makes it harder to refi- like he can't refinance, I imagine, most of the homes that he has to the, to the great low rates now because the banks aren't interested in that either. But that's how you can build up a pretty good monopoly scenario yeah, of just monopoly. buying up all the homes. And it fulfills the mortgage requirement of it being your primary residence exactly. for at least two years. Yeah. Now, but now, Becca, you sold your other home, right? Or no? I sold one of them. We still have one rental. Okay, so you're a baroness, a real estate baroness <laughs> as well. <I> don't. <laughs> two homes on the same, what was the set of it? Was it two houses on the same piece of land or they're just adjacent next to each other? They were adjacent and they were owned by brother and sister. And when the younger siblings were trying to sell, they had a hard time selling them separately. So we bought them together. Like, we'll take them both. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I I just like a simple life. So I know you can hire another company to, you know, cover, interact with that. I just don't, I don't want to talk to those people. I don't want to fix their, you know, the fact that they didn't change the the filter and the AC. I just, okay. yeah. you, could do a, you could do a BFR community. Give me more Facebook stock. It. Give me more Amazon stock. Give me more Apple <laughs> stock. That's just go. easier. <laughs> It'd be interesting if, and we could jump on, if they'll change the the whole setup to make it more rental. Like more like apartments tend to have, I'd say more amenities on average than single family home communities, unless it's master mm-hmm. plan. Actually, it's usually the opposite. They'll do opposite, make it bare minimum. Yeah. Yep. So the homes are not going to typically be much uh, in a typical like South Carolina type market. They're not going to be much over 300,000 mm-hmm. in terms of total build. The amenities are almost none, maybe uh, maintenance of, you know, but Walking there is paths. some 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 low maintenance or zero maintenance on the exterior, obviously um, that that some of them are doing, where like grass cuttings included, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But pretty much no on the uh, on the extra, because again, you're trying to be a certain percentage above what the luxury rental apartment pricing would be, and you're gotcha. and you're you're making that that trade off. All right, cool. moving on to the news. Uh, first up from Box Brownie. Dot com box brownie one of our favorite secret weapons out there you can get yes. some some great results from them clean up your clean up your images for all of two dollars and twenty four cents and get the results tomorrow <laughs> it's fantastic but they did a really good overview of you know box brownie can do a lot but what do you need to do to try to out of the camera get the best shot that either doesn't require the use of box brownie or make sure that they can fix the problem that you created. And so they have both a video <laughs> and an outline. We're just going to go quickly through the, the main steps because you can go click the show note, the link in the show notes to, to check it out. But Becca, especially if there's anything you want to add in here. Yeah. Uh, first is, Andrew, you should have looked at this one. What what camera and tripod to buy? Well, this was a little. <laughs> yeah. So, nah. you know, what, what they're saying is basically recommending the camera with a lens that's wide enough angle. And yeah. so they show an example here of, you would think 24 millimeters is wide enough, and it is for larger homes, but you get into something like a powder room or an, an owner's ensuite bath, 
and 12 millimeters is really an ideal focal length to be to be using yeah that's what i shot at most of the time unless it was tiny and i'd Mm -hmm. open it up again to the 10 yep the one thing i wanted to add is he gave the camera and then a lens Uh and he's using both nikon but if you're going to use nikon you can get i got a sigma lens which Mm -hmm. it's a wide angle just the same dimensions he Yes, but I got it for like I think it was like four or five hundred instead of fourteen hundred. Yeah, that that's definitely a a good tip. If you are getting a camera that has the ability to change lenses out, look at the off brands. Anyone listening? I mean, ninety nine percent of you listening are not going to. It's called pixel peeping when you're zooming in to see the crispness of each individual. Like you're just trying to get a a shot that most time is going on Zillow or your, or your website. So you don't need yeah. the, you know, in Sony language, there's, they have the G master line, which could be anywhere from 1500 to 5,000, well, $15,000 for a single lens. Yeah. The Sigma is, is a good off, off brand camera lens company to look for. That's a great, great point. Step two, the camera settings ISO setting is really important because most of the time you're going to want to use a tripod, even if it's a mini tripod or you just hold the camera up to the corner of the frame of the door to steady it. The idea is you should not need high ISO film settings or or film-like settings on the camera because all that means is when it's really dark, it's going to bump it up. You're going to have a lot of grainy imagery in in there. It's not going to look pleasing to the eye. And then you can bracket your shots as well. Most, even an iPhone has a bracket option where you can take multiple images at once at different contrast settings. Uh, that's not the right Like exposure. Term. Exposure yeah. settings, yeah. You can then, if you want to, you can even go back in and bundle those into HDR images, which is when you, when you layer multiple images on top of each other. They do actually have a pre-photography checklist on step three for preparing the home. The, yes. Bryce, was it, yeah, today we were like, the hose in front of the house can go away. Let's put yes, that on the checklist. Yes. The portageon, the dumpster, <laughs> the dumpster, uh, the blue tape, the trash all those things. in the yard. Yeah, trash in the yard. The pecan, not not pecan, but the pecan that the framer or drywall person left in oh. the corner. Of the room. Oh. Mm. <laughs> yeah, is it usually the drywall guys? Which ones are guilty? I don't know. All of them. All yeah. Of them. <laughs> And then step four is, is talking about just framing up the imagery. So when you're shooting exterior, kind of the, the way that you want it, you don't want to, if you, if you're looking at a home from above, it can make it feel smaller. You're too low to the ground. It makes it look ominous and less appealing. And then it talks about from there, how you can send in your images to fix them on Vox Brownie, but it's a really good article. A lot of great tips there. Definitely check that one out. We'll also need to link, I don't remember, I think this was, it's just a two-year-old article, but Becca put together a nice shot yep. list of, oh yeah, what is that, 50 different, yeah, 50 different um, shots you need to get when you're taking nice. photos, as well as some other helpful t- tips in there, but combine both of those together. <laughs> yeah. And I believe and, this past Christmas, we had the uh, gift guide too. So in terms of camera equipment, lenses, yeah. all that stuff, there's some, yeah. some good things to choose from in there too. Yep. And Box Brownie can make the editing way easier than having to do... Uh, editing on your own. Yeah. I mean, I can do it pretty fast, but I can't, I would charge myself more than $2 to do it. Yeah. It takes too long for $2. <laughs> this one should be a fun one to steal from Andrew. Ad week 
the world's biggest brands are spending more in programmatic. Mm. So quick, quick definition, Andrew, programmatic meaning awful. No, just awfulness. <laughs> um, essentially, if you think about how the Facebook pixel, if you're doing Facebook ads correctly, works as far as getting conversion data or success data and then optimizing delivery based on mm-hmm. people. This would be the same thing except everything off of Facebook. So Google Display, I don't know if people would really call that programmatic or not. Usually it's with a, oh, I forgot what's the acronym because we don't really support this type of thing. So I don't have to worry too much about it. You buy it like a, through like a, another network that would yeah. layer on top of Google, their own technology. And then you're paying them a premium, usually like per thousand impressions. So it could get expensive. And I've always viewed this as like a way for agencies to make some nice money because usually those networks have like a commission sort of thing set up with the agencies. And it's, I'm like, ugh, roll my eyes at it. I can never trust it because I'm like, there's so much money to be made everywhere except for the the client. Right. If you can, if you can get banner ads from the Google display network, you know, somewhere between basically free half of a penny, whatever to, you know, a dime and a nickel. (laughs) And then you can go through another route and buy some of that same inventory for several dollars per click at times. There's just too much money sloshing around and and it's a big black box. You know, Facebook, we, we know how the pixel works. I promise you, if there is a breakout of how much you're paying Facebook essentially for the targeting and how much for just the, the raw display, and, and they kind of showed you what was worth more, it would be a different story. Like people yep. would have a harder time understanding if Facebook is worth it or not. But there, there's a black box and most of these platforms that, that do programmatic don't tell you really how it's getting the information. And so part of what this article is talking about is it's on the rise in terms of total spend. That's because I think a lot of people who were doing radio and television and, and other mass media are like, uh, put that money in programmatic because we can make it kind of act the same way. In, in terms of, you know, like picking a channel to advertise on television. Well, we can just put the entire web and all the app ecosystems into some channels and magically ads will spit out on the other end that are appropriate. So I think that's the real reason for the increase in spend. But the other thing the article talks about is that a lot of these platforms use multiple sources of data to kind of pool together. And that's coming under increasing scrutiny and... yeah flat out illegal in in some cases because of the consumer California consumer privacy act and and other things that we've talked about on the show before. And so like, how good do you think any one other systems first party data is in comparison to Google or Facebook? Like Google's not sharing all their data with anyone else anymore. Facebook's not sharing their entire data set with anyone else. So this other platform they really shouldn't be combining with Google or Facebook anymore, especially in places like California. So how good do you think their data is and how, how much of a premium is it worth paying for that programmatic mm-hmm. uh, advertising? And they even say here at the end, 58% of brands surveyed said visibility into walled gardens, which is what most programmatic networks are. Just pay us your money. Here's some clicks. We promise we targeted the right people. Mm-hmm. I mean, 58% promise. are saying that is a problem. And yeah. said even down to the technical level of how the data is shared between platforms is a big problem. So headline's true. The world's biggest brands are spending more on programmatic, but isn't that just like the good reason to not do programmatic? Like 
Yeah. You're not Coca-Cola. You're not Taco Bell. You're not Domino's yeah. Pizza. You're not. Any other thoughts? Any other good thoughts? No. Nope. Just don't, don't do it. Don't do <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> Run away. Don't do it. Run away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, pe- people continue to ask us all the time because they get bored. I, I get it. It's boring to like, we're still talking about Google and Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and Google display and email. And Len, isn't there something else? Like what's the new thing? What are we missing? You're like, yeah, doing what, it how else could we spend money? Uh, so let's, <laughs> let's just do a real quick recap. If you want to keep spending ad dollars, remarketing everywhere, like everywhere, because mm-hmm. you're only paying to remarket to people who have already been to a, your site or a place on your site. And Andrew, you know, Bing has made a little bit of a comeback too. Yeah, comeback kid. Come but back. just be very careful still because you just want to get what you can get at a reasonable price. You don't need to go all like Bing isn't now 15% of the budget, but it can, depending on, on your target market, simply because of the total search activity that's happening around housing right now, be something that you might want to look into. Yeah. If you are, I'd say only if you're building in bigger markets, hmm. it might be worth may be worth the trouble. Um, and if you have budget, like don't. One last thing to fight about here and then a quick public alert announcement around Facebook propaganda. Then we'll cut straight to our interview with Ben Alton from Zillow, which is going to be fantastic because Ben's one of my favorite people in the industry. But two publications kind of caught my eye. One from Bloomberg, the first one that I'll read. The headline is Urban Exiles Are Fueling a Suburban Housing Boom Across the U.S., Low mortgage rates and the emerging COVID-era lifestyle spark a surge in demand in California's Inland Empire and other bedroom communities. So we'll, we'll pick out a few pieces here in a minute, but the setup here is everyone's leaving urban areas and they're going to the suburbs. That's where all the boom is coming from. Skip to the next article <laughs> from housingwire.com. Are cities really seeing an exodus? Zillow says urban areas have more in common with suburbs than you think. Minus Manhattan and San Francisco, of course. But basically, according to Zillow, urban housing markets are keeping pace with the booming suburbs in terms of transaction volume, the number of people moving in and moving out. The difference is that in urban areas, medium price growth is down 9.3%. So they're, they're becoming a little bit more affordable. And so mm-hmm. does that show some demand? Sure. But there's not a glut of housing sitting in urban areas that's not being used except for, of course, Manhattan and San Francisco. So which one's, which one's right? Like, I think both, both these headlines, one's from August 20th, the other's dated August 13th. This isn't like a, I pulled something old, but what's happening? Are people really leaving, fleeing the cities? In all of our conversations with our builder partners, I can't tell you that I'm really hearing people are leaving geographic areas in its entirety. Like our builders in Pennsylvania are certainly seeing more people from New Jersey and New York than they have in a long time, Mm -hmm. uh, Eastern Pennsylvania. And we've got a lot of builders seeing increased relocation traffic from California and Washington state, some from Chicago land area, but that we have no data to show that like, are they relocating to suburban Texas two miles outside of Dallas or two hours outside of Dallas, or are they still making somewhat comparable transitions just different geographic areas. I don't have an answer. I, I don't know if anyone else is. I don't either. There was, I think I shared like a week ago, a, a link that had the Zillow data that I think the housing wire article had about the uh, people leaving the urban markets. So I thought that was interesting. Like if people wanted to 
have access to like the raw, like what did Zillow find on their searches? Uh-huh. And San Francisco is crazy looking at San Francisco's was like a hundred percent plus increase in listings. And it was like the only one that wow. was that was up. Crazy. That was that was crazy. But yeah, I yeah, I wonder if it's again like is is the market just being condensed? Like are all the are these transitions they were going to likely take place over the next year and a half, but people now are like, we might as well just do it now instead of waiting because interest rates. So they're so is it more totality or is it just over a period of two years will it end up being a net you're saying Mm -hmm. is there going to be a bottom yeah um yeah i mean yeah i mean there's no doubt about it the our our house that we were looking to build on our property there's there's a little bit of a like i'm not in a rush to do it and at the same time i'm thinking i mean rates are this low when else are you supposed to do it yeah yeah the other thing i loved about this bloomberg article though was all of the pre-sale without fail pictures uh, people it. sitting out in their lawn chairs waiting. <laughs> yeah. So this place had um, people lined up for 22 hours in 104 degree temperatures oh, before 40 different lots were released at Shade Tree, a community in San Bernardino County, just launched by, I think it's Lancia Homes. The line okay. swelled to more than 30 buyers who camped overnight and shielded themselves from the sun with umbrellas while mostly complying with wearing masks. And so mostly. it's just... The surge of demand, you know, people waiting in 104 degree heat for over 20 hours, un- unbelievable. But I wouldn't say we specialize or don't specialize in, in urban projects, but they're all doing well, the ones that we are involved in. They're, they're not all hitting the same high mark that they might have been in February mm-hmm. or January, but none of them are are panicked or worried. It's just... Uh, all things being equal, would you rather maybe not have people on top of you above and below and on, on all sides? Yeah, that makes sense. But they're still looking at it again, except for Manhattan and San Francisco. But I think I talked about on my story time last time that like the HOA fee was more than the house or the oh, condo yeah. if you bought yeah. it. One so, that was a deal and it was like five grand yeah. HOA a month. <laughs> yeah. Like, what in the world? That's... Payment 200 bucks a month. Yeah. HOA? <laughs> Five grand. It's like a form of like (laughs) rent control, except not rent. All right. And then, uh, Andrew, this is, we've, we've talked about this for a long time, but they're pushing this heavy now. Uh, Facebook propaganda. Now we, we don't have a show note link for you to go read this more. These are just some conversations we've had with, um, people who may or may not be Mark Zuckerberg. At Facebook, yeah, but it was a robot, so I'm pretty sure it was. And, and we we have seen um, costs increasing both on Google and Facebook across the board as more people are either dumping all of their marketing budget into the few channels that remain that are viable, or um, are simply willing to spend more and creating more competition. But but some of these things that they're listed, we've talked about the election impact potentially coming soon, mm-hmm. but now you're saying e-commerce and coronavirus just in in general also pushing it up yeah so both both reps i i spoke to uh recently were like so what is what are your plans for election and holiday that's what they call holiday being anything towards the Mm -hmm. end of the year they wrap it into that nice term holiday it's not like like you're not really (laughs) saying anything i can just say christmas and hanukkah and whatnot anyways i'm like well we're just gonna keep on pushing what we have first you need to you should have said you mean festivus you need festivus that's what it should be Seinfeld, Seinfeld (laughs) reference, Festivus. So they were like, yeah, it's, we're kind of nervous. Like, we don't know what it's going to be like because all these, we expect consumers to not shop in person 
significantly less. You know, you're already seeing people now like the businesses are not open for Black Friday, not Black Friday, but on Thanksgiving. So that's going to change. And so they're expecting all their e-commerce advertisers to get really intense with their spend combined with elections should push, push the demand for inventory. The highest it's ever been ever is what they're saying. But still the better ad wins and still has the lower cost. As well as the ad that has the largest geographical targeting while maintaining exactly. the AI focus. So yeah, I mean, we haven't really seen this happen much. So even when I said costs have increased, you know, we're talking 25 cents for Facebook, 30 going up to, you know, 30 cents. It's not like it's um, yeah. insane adjustments. It's just mm-hmm. kind of within that normal range. But I, I think right here, we should just warn everyone, just sell all of your homes by the yeah. end of September, which I think we're on pace for if I'm, yeah, yeah right. I yeah. think I'm listening to everyone in the audience, give us the thumbs up. Everything's probably going to be sold out by the end of September anyway. <laughs> so catch up. Yeah. If that happens, I don't, I don't see anyone panicking unless you're getting ready to launch a new community right then. But then that might be the only thing you really need to be advertising super that, heavily. So that might work. I think where people will get stressed out is if they have a slow community and they're trying to use Facebook ads to push it. Mm-hmm. And typically the slow communities probably have other issues than just the marketing. Right. And then the, it doesn't work well. Like it just won't perform well. If it was a great price, a great location, great product, the ad is going to be amazing. And then you wouldn't have to push that special ad to the community. So you're kind of like already at this uphill battle. So those could get, it'll be interesting to see how those work in the fall. Like, yep. will the cost per click be awful? And like, hey, you can't use Facebook to try to fix this. We'll find out. We will find out. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for the news. We'll take a quick break and we come back. The wizard behind the curtain, the man with the master plan, the renaissance man of our time, Ben <laughs> Alton, will be here Perfect. to talk about something brand new that Zillow is launching, as well as what, um, what else they have in store down the line. We'll be right back. And we're back with Ben Alton, Senior Group Manager at Zillow. And Ben, thank you so much for joining us. For those of you who have not met Ben, I have to give you a quick introduction. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, I think it starts at the top at Zillow with Rich Barton, who is an incredibly handsome individual, especially in person. You're just like, holy smokes, Rich Barton, can you please calm it down a little bit? And basically, everyone at Zillow is an incredibly good-looking person. Uh, even Kenny and Jake and well, Jake, Jake, I, he must've gotten in before that, but, but Ben is an amazing individual. Truly. Every time I get to go and interact with the team there, I'm always looking around the corner. Like, is Ben here? Can, can I talk to Ben? Uh, so thanks so much for joining us today. It's, it's a real pleasure. Uh, well, thank you for having me. And after that introduction, I mean, well, now you've got me really worried, actually. I, th- I feel like you're buttering me up. No, no, your, your no, headshot's going to no, be on all the no, promo no, materials, so everyone no, will know at that point. But the headshot, won't communicate, <laughs> the headshot won't communicate how tall you are either. You're a man of great stature. Uh, oh, am I? I guess so. How tall so. are you? I don't know. I mean, on Zoom, I'm the same height as everybody else. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> you got to be every bit of six feet. 
Come on. I'm, I am six feet, I think, almost exactly to okay. the... And then the, the hair adds another good three and, and a half little, inches. Well, you know, depending on... Which I'm on, jealous of. Yeah, percent. well, you know, haircuts are hard to come by these days. Yeah. So. COVID hair might be five inches, right? So yeah. a senior group manager at Zillow, that, that sounds like you must work for a large conglomerate organization. What does that title mean, Ben? It does sound very corporate, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically it means I, I lead up the team of, of basically engineers and, and product managers who, who build um, the new construction product at Zillow. So, you know, every, every bit of it from, you know, how does new construction show up when you go to Zillow.com or um, on, on the apps? Um, through to, you know, how does this, what does this look like to our builder partners? Like what, what kind of surfaces do we have um, to, you know, convey ROI and help them, you know, input their listings and all this kind of good stuff. So um, it's a small team. It's just like 20 of us. Um, but we, we do, we do big things. We do big things with, uh, you know, small and mighty. Well, that's the reason why I've always had such a great time talking with you is you are a renaissance man when it comes to the world that you're in. Because you, like you said, you've got engineers, you're talking to builders, this, this very diverse group of people to, to pull all this talent together and create the tech with a capital T that, that drives the Zillow new construction efforts. And so as soon as they were like, this is the Wizard of Oz that makes this stuff this stuff happen. And just a quick example, we'll come back to some of this maybe, but uh, community pages, on-site tour booking, inline community previews, which is being able to see the map of all the stuff that's coming before it's even there on the Zillow platform, lot availability, builder boost ads, ratings and reviews. What? Something new that hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about. All that you've had some of, some bit of fingerprints of Ben Alton is is there, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I love it. You've you've got the list down better than I have the list down. <laughs> so I appreciate this, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's that. We basically spent the last, you know, I've been at Zillow for the last uh, three years or so, and uh, you know, we it was when I first started, it was just uh, it was three engineers, and I was hired on to be kind of the first product manager, and it was you know, it was just a really kind of little little sort of baby um, product tech team, and I think and then you had banner product. ads and promoted communities. Yeah, that's all that it was. was it. Yeah, yeah, that's all it was. It was very simple. Um, but, you know, we had big ambitions for it. And we keep, you know, every year we sort of grow a little bit, both in terms of size and the amount of, you know, the just surface area of, of product um, that, that we've built up um, around the programs that, that we run here. So, um, so yeah, we've, we've done a lot of, I feel pretty proud of our last few years. I feel like uh, we've, we've done a lot of good things. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty incredible the amount of innovation because builders, you know, they're not monolithic at all. Even when you say something like national production builder, if you get four of them in a room, you've got four different perspectives of exactly what they need. So again, I don't, I don't want your job. I just think it's amazing that you do <laughs> it. But it's my favorite uh, part of my day, honestly. I mean, is is meeting with builder partners, um, and we, uh, I mean, we do our best to, you know, we have, you know, obviously, I'm thinking about sort of what I would call like both sides of our two-sided marketplace, which is right. I spend a lot of my day thinking about our, our shopper um, who's on the site. Um, and, but, um, but, but frankly, the, the, the customer that I most get to interact with on a day-to-day basis is our builder partners. And, okay, but you know, you've done this for a long time and you worked at Microsoft before Zillow for 13-ish years or so. So long you've time. been in this for a long time, but I can't imagine pulling open the Zillow app one day and having the UI change in even a slightly significant way and thinking, 
my team and I had an impact on that. Is that, is that too meta? Is you're like, you're in it now every day. It's just kind of like, yeah, I'm just in there. Or does that still like, this is cool. Oh yeah. Well, I think, I mean, honestly, Kevin, I think anybody who gets into, you know, product engineering, I mean, they do it because they like to build things, right? They like to build things and they like to build things that, um, that people use and find useful. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, my, my favorite, favorite day is ship day. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, I love being able to kind of hawk our wares and talk about all the good things we've done and, and then, you know, see, see customers and partners really use those things and find them valuable. So, I mean, that's why I do it. I can't imagine I, you know, yeah, it's a, it'd be hard to, to be a, you know, a product person and, and not enjoy, uh, shipping products. Yeah, it's got to be got to be a cool thing, especially as the brand name has continued to to dominate the space of of you know Holmes and Zillow being interchangeable to some extent. But we asked you here, we're going to talk about as much as we can over the next twenty nine minutes or so. But cool. how the the reason that I initially reached out and said who can we have talk about this was a very in particular nerdy topic called computer vision. Oh, which yeah. I will let you explain even what that means. But <laughs> the computer and even Jeff Turner at, at some of our events before those, the audience members who that name sounds familiar talked a little bit about this and, and how it's, it's how computers see images and try to get a handle on what they're seeing. But yep. even, not necessarily even just a new construction, any, any examples or quick uh, building blocks you can give the audience of what computer vision is and how Zillow has used it historically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll um, it, and you know, I'm not no expert. You you um, you you did a good job actually of describing just sort of the fundamentals of what computer vision is. It sounds very fancy, but it really is just like what do you know? What can computers see and deduce from you know a sort of set of images? And we mm -hmm. we um, we have this you know wonderful um, you know AI artificial intelligence team at Zillow, a um, bunch of super smart people um, who are using um, you know you know, computer vision and machine learning in all kinds of different ways. Um, well, you know, one of the things, I mean, so there's a few different ways in which we used uh, computer vision at, at Zillow. The, the first that sort of comes to mind is around our Zestimate. Um, so, you know, the, the Zestimate is kind of the, the heart of Zillow. Yeah. I think we introduced it. I was probably the first feature that was ever shipped on Zillow. It's sort of the heart of what, um, you know, what, what brought people to Zillow in the first place was that kind of virtual voyeurism of kind of being oh, able yeah. to see all of your neighbors and be kind of sneak into their life and see like, well, what is their home worth? Um, mm -hmm. It actually reminds me that was one of the, the one of the founding sort of uh, stories of Zillow is the, the founders, which, you know, you mentioned Rich and, uh, you know, Lloyd and Kristen Acker and Dave Vitale and the sort of group who'd been at Microsoft and then they founded Expedia and they were sort of looking at their next big thing. And they were all sitting out, I think, on the porch of one of their houses. And they were sort of looking out over a kind of a hillside with a number of like homes on it. Mm -hmm. And one of them just said, wouldn't it be cool if like each one of those homes had a little like tooltip on it that said like how much it was worth? Yeah. And, and that was like, that was when, you know, the idea of Zillow was born. And obviously it's a lot since then. So anyway, so wow. Zestimate, okay, I'm, I'm getting uh, totally off track. So Zestimate, um, bread and butter of Zillow, um, constantly evolving. And I think it was last year yeah, um, that we announced that basically we started to actually incorporate knowledge that we were deducing from the, the home images themselves in, in determining a value of a home. Um, and so, so taking all, you got data coming in from all different places on the yeah. platform. You've got 
uh, government data, transaction data that's been logged and historical, but you kind of add on this additional layer of saying, wait a minute, people are sending us all these pictures. And certainly builders know this. We've always known this, that 2,000 square feet does not equal you know, the, the sum of what the value is within said 2,000 square feet. And if they're going to provide us with imagery, then you're saying yeah. the computer in some way can, can take that into account as well. Well, yeah. I mean, think about it as like trying to emulate what, what us humans with our big giant brains do when we look at pictures of a home, right? We're making subtle yeah. little calculations. We say like, pink oh, flamingos in the owner's <laughs> suite. That doesn't sound great to me. We're, we're in. Yeah, exactly. The, um, I actually just, uh, just last week had 1960s gold carpet torn out of this house. That oh, I'm good. I thought you were going to say you just which, put pink flamingos <laughs> in and I was going to feel very... So I, I think that was a win for me because I was, you know, I feel like I got this house at a good price because of that right. carpet. People couldn't see past it, but I could see past for it. Sure. Okay. But, you know, but essentially computer vision is how can you actually automate that thing that we as humans are doing when we look at those pictures and where... You know, we we look at just, you know, millions of photos and we, you know, compare those photos to how quickly that home sold or how, you know, what price it sold for and how much over asking it sold. And we're able to, you know, then sort of deduce qualities of those images um, that really made that, that, that we think correlated with those things. So, and over time, that means we're able to, you know, deduce things like, wow, home kitchens that look like this tend to sell a little bit more than kitchens that look like yeah. that. And to really simp- oversimplify it, if you're if you're thinking in the audience in your mind's eye, just picture any home on Fixer Upper. It's got shiplap. It's got a lot of white. It's got a farmhouse sink. It's got these characters that, again, like you said, it, we say it's very simple. To it's actually a very complex calculation. If you have to have context of what that show is and the trends and patterns and styles, and teaching a computer to say, in essence. Looks like fixer upper. Give it a little asterisk, a little plus. Um, you not necessarily, I imagine, radically changing the valuation, but just saying let's put it in the mix of all the other data points and adjust it slightly this way or that way. Yeah, that's exactly right. And even to be honest, the way this estimate works, it's even it's even a little too complicated for me. It's this magic <laughs> thing that sort of happens. But what I do know is it's sort of one of the factors that gets thought about. Um, as we come up with that valuation. And so, um, yeah. yeah, so that's pretty good. I mean, another big place where we use um, uh, computer vision is around our 3D home products. So oh, yeah. I have a bunch of friends working on some pretty amazing stuff around essentially, you know, maybe the most interesting problem space around this right now is converting a bunch of panoramas in a 3D tour to a floor plan. Mm-hmm. And like, and 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 how do you do that? Well, you have to find all the doors and the windows and the everything. Yeah. Um, Even in uh, order the corner of a room, out. we look at an image and we can clearly tell where the corner is, but that's an incredibly difficult thing to teach a computer, what a corner in a flat dimensional image. I mean, yeah, there's shading there, but that could just be a shadow. How do you know that's a corner? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, and we have all these like funny little corner cases about like, Okay, so you finally treat a computer to like find the door, but then how do you get it to exclude like shower doors? And how do you get it to exclude, you know, doors that actually were sort of inadvertently captured in the mirror? So it's not right. actually a door, right. it's, a, it's a reflection of the door. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's uh, stuff that we as humans, of course, you're like, well, that's a shower door. And I know, you know, because I can see the 
you know, the shower head well, the, there. The gentleman but who heads up the AI that. division, or at least the spokesperson who they let me see, because the smartest people, again, they're probably still hidden away somewhere else. But he, and in one of his presentations at Unlock was ex- using as an example how difficult it is for the computer to tell the difference between fried chicken and golden doodle puppies or uh, dachshunds curled up in a, in a circular shape and a bagel, right? Where actually when you look at them that way, all those pictures up next to each other, you're kind of like, yeah, I, I kind of, it took me an extra half a second to see that there were eyeballs on that piece of fried chicken. And that's clearly a dog, but it, it makes sense how, again, as complex it is, it can be difficult. The other thing I'll tell you about the three tours is this isn't necessarily a good story for the homeowner, a good story for Zillow. Um, but a friend of Mike Lyons, we, we've been trying to help them sell their existing home using nothing. They have an agent. The agent's not so great. Shh, don't, I won't tell anyone. No one knows who that is anyway. But the agent just kind of took the bare necessity of images. And we were using Zillow and Facebook ads, which we typically would do to, to promote the Zillow listing. And it went from uh, 65 saves on the home to over 100 in less than a week. And it had already been listed for like 180 days or some long period of time. And they added 3D tours uh, over the weekend. And again, this isn't a good thing necessarily for the homeowner, but it is good for the consumer, the shopper that you're talking about. And it's good for Zillow to have this capability. They added in 3D tour. And now I could tell Mike, you know, I know exactly why this home isn't selling. I mean, before when I saw the pictures and the number of people looking at the listing, I was like, yeah, I don't, seems like this should be a right fit. But then when you see it in a 3D space, I go, you've got an apartment sized kitchen in a $650,000 home in Tulsa. That's fine in Seattle or Chicago or New York. Not, not okay in Tulsa, Oklahoma to have an apartment sized kitchen in a 3,000 square foot home or what, you know. So it, that, that 3D experience is definitely every bit of it clearly communicates to today's consumer more of what that home is. And the floor plan, I think I've noticed you guys have added that currently in all of the homes that Zillow owns. Yeah. And the floor plan is like the hidden, that's the hidden secret weapon that builders have had that we've underutilized is being able to use that floor plan to explain how all these pretty pictures are connected to each other in a, yeah. in a two-dimensional way. And so I think that's really smart that you guys are heading down people, that path. People love this stuff. I um uh, you know, I'm going to tell a story that's not very good because I can't remember who tweeted it. But there was a, a a tweet just the other day. It was I think a week ago that was that was trending. It was basically just like normalize adding a floor plan to your Zillow profilers, your Zillow homepage, and it was it was like getting massive amounts of like you know likes. And I was thinking, oh yeah, see that's right. Yeah. You know, people love this stuff. Um, I think it can be scary a little bit because you know, in truth, it does mean. Um, providing more of that information up front like that does mean that more people can sometimes sure. opt out, right, before mm-hmm. or contacting you, right? Like they, they look and they're like, oh, that's not quite right for me. But that person was going to opt out anyway. They were going to opt out anyway. That's exactly so, the point. You're, and then the question is, you know, did you waste the time up or did you, you know, it was efficient for them, it was efficient for you. You identified yep. earlier that the home wasn't a good match yep. and, and everybody's happy. Yeah, we were working on a, on a different problem for someone else. And I asked them point blank, I said, would you rather have more calls and inquiries? Because you've only had two in the last week, or are you, would you rather just have the best ones reach out to you? And this is not a home builder situation. They're just like, oh, without a doubt, I just want the two. As long as they're really good, let them have everything. So you're right, you're going to lose them anyway um, throughout, throughout the process. Also, yeah. a fun rabbit trail for you or others is, have you ever gone back and, and 
I don't know the site that does this, but you can see like the layout of every famous sitcoms oh. TV home in real life. Like if it, if it was actually laid out in a floor plan, what like the friend's apartment and a couple <laughs> other, and it's just, it's fascinating to see people make, flo- like that's how important floor plans are to people to help them conceptualize how it gets put together. I've seen a few of those. They're great to look at, you know, yeah. it makes you, makes you laugh. I feel like I saw the Golden Girls once. I think so <laughs> I'm imagining where, you know, where Rose's bedroom was or something. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, computer vision is awesome. And as soon as um, you guys started talking a little bit about that, we kind of got hit with several questions, which again prompted my excuse to bring you, to let them mm. have have time with me today. And And really two rather straightforward ones, but I understand there can still be complex. The first one was, is there any regular rhythm to how those images are processed by said computer visioning system, meaning a common builder practices to load things up in the MLS or, or on their site and then push to Zillow prematurely. Yep. I mean, they might have only five images or one image of the exterior, which you should never do that, anyone <laughs> listening. But if it should happen, they were saying, hey, when we upload the 30 really good photos one year later, is it going to catch that? Or am I, is it just upon the initial listing of the of the home? Like how? Any yeah, sense of how that might work? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I, I think we do update it regularly. So I don't know the exact time cadence of it, but I, I wouldn't worry so much about... I mean, computers, it's easy to make computers notice changes. And mm-hmm. I, mean, I guess, actually, I would, I, would, um, I would dodge this question a little bit and say uh, that actually the much bigger problem is getting the attention of giving, uh, you know, Humans, humans, uh, right? Yeah, humans no, to give you a second you're chance. You're right on the money. Um, that... If you, you know, we, uh, you know, I was looking the other day. At, um, I guess I think it was actually Redfin that posted this data externally, but we we certainly have this data as well on Zillow. It's basically, you know, if you look at a chart, basically of listing views over time, and Kevin, I'm sure you know this. It, it ex, you know, exponentially goes down if you've got a, you know, a listing that maybe gets a hundred views on day one. By day two, it's going to be fifty views. It's going to half in a single day and then maybe level out for a week or so it'll sort of slowly go down to 25 but you know and and you know in truth it's not even just in the first day too you know we fight i'm sure i'm sure you know i'm sure your listeners know from getting these notifications when you know a listing comes on that you know we fight our competitors to have the first notification that goes out to say there's a new listing um, on zillow because you know it's a game of you know minutes or seconds if you are you know, five minutes after the listing goes live, your notification goes out and four and a half minutes a competitor does, you know, they're more likely to get that that click that brings that traffic into their mm-hmm. site. And so, you know, it really is, you know, I would say, you know, even, you know, on the day a listing goes live, it's going to, it's going to, um, it's going to see a huge spike in traffic right yeah. after it's listed. I had so, that's an excellent point around all yeah. points of content. And I don't know why I didn't make that connection sooner. We could have saved a whole question that I didn't really need to ask you because you're right. It's just like people saying, well, how do we optimize our content for Google? That's a bad idea because one, Google's going to change their rules all the time. And two, Google's not buying your house from you. So you should optimize <laughs> your content for the buyers. And essentially you're saying the same thing. Like why just put those photos on as fast as humanly possible, preferably the moment you list it because it's going to compound the compounding effect of that notification of the home being out there, like you're saying first, 
with the better content should should be the better win. Well, then this one might fall in the same same thing, but uh, and the question really is about size of images in the feed, or is there an ideal resolution? Uh, and this is driven partly because there's one particular um, website company that I won't name who has had issues internally with their server, and they've encouraged builders to continue to lower the resolution size for faster speed. And so now there's a bunch of builders out there. I just talked to someone today who they launched a, a new site and they're having with the same company, but now they have better capacity. So they're having to reload every image on their own site at an acceptable resolution for today's monitors and displays. Yeah. And so that's just a question of, is there a, is there a, is there a file size? that's too big. Is there a, you know, is it, is it 1080? Is it 4k? Is it, is it just as big yeah. as you can get? Yeah, I mean, it's a, good, see all that. It, it's a good question. Uh, the limiting factor is not going to be the computer vision. Yeah, again, like the, we can, we'll be able to derive some useful um, characteristics out of the phone, you know, the photo at almost any resolution. It, it really, again, is going to be the shopper who's going to be your problem. Uh, shoppers, you know, obviously have become, you know, um, uh, picky about, <laughs> about, you know, listing photos. They want to be able to see, you know, everything at the sort of highest resolution they can. Um, yeah. But yeah, in terms of computer vision, I, I wouldn't say there's any probably specific problem there. I think you're much more likely to just run into um, uh, you know, before expectations of the computer, you're going to run up against expectations of the of the shopper himself. I would think. Awesome, love it. Okay, yeah. now for the the breaking news. Breaking news, at least for most of you listening, will be that you have a brand new product. I, I teased it at the very beginning there. Ratings and reviews on Zillow, which and, uh, uh, on the scale of one to 10, with 10 being like, this is a world shattering change. I, I mean, I feel like I really want to give this like a 9.2 in, in term because ratings and reviews have, we know such an impact that it has on Google My Business listings and, and all other places on the web. And so who are we reviewing? How is the data happening? Tell us what you can about this new initiative. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, let me just set it up a little bit before I tell you all the the, the nitty gritty of how, how it works, which I will too. But um, I mean, you know, maybe just tell you a little bit like why why Zillow, why did Zillow decide to do this? Like, why do yeah. we care about this? And, you know, um, you know, I'd say, first off, um, our customers have told us they really care about it. Data. And by customers, in this case, I mean our site customers, our mm -hmm. shoppers. They, we do a big survey every year. We call it the Consumer Housing Trends uh, Report, and and um, and you know, it involved the last year surveying you know over three thousand customers who who purchased a new construction home. And they they basically, I think it was their number one, or maybe it was number two. I can't remember right now. Um, you know, when you asked them like what was the sort of most important piece of information they wanted to know. Uh, in buying a new construction home, and it was the reputation of the builder. I mean, yeah. no big surprise, right? Like, they're <laughs> this is their biggest investment of their, um, you know, of their life, likely, um, and they want to make sure that 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 you know builder is a good is going to be a good partner for them. Um, Absolutely, and, and I would, we've run probably yeah. six hundred website user tests. We're recording people's voice and and having them walk through and. The very first question often that we'll start by saying is, on a site like this, what would be your top three concerns that you'd want to address or research on this visit? And every single time it is, I've heard a lot about builders, or I've recently 
bought a home myself from a builder, so I would be very curious to hear about how their reputation and trust and materials, all those things are, end up rolling up into ratings and reviews. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't, I mean, honestly, what we hear is they don't, they don't feel like they've got a good source for this today. You know, they, they sort of can find things out on the internet, you know, here and there, but it doesn't feel uh, trustworthy. Um, No one, we don't, we never ever say names, but there's a whole bunch of builders who would rather not talk about ratings and reviews if we're being completely (laughs) honest too. Well, and what I would say, I mean, the other thing we've heard from our, our builder partners is that, you know, you know, is maybe just that, or maybe it's, Gosh, I, you know, I feel like I get no credit for I, it, you yeah. know, or, or, you know, those reviews are out there, but, and I want to, you know, I want to have more control over them. Like I want to have more ability to respond to them. I want right. to feel rest assured that those are actual buyers and actual, you know, people who actually moved into one of my homes and not just like, you know, right. that angry person down the street. Right. Um, and, and I, I feel like, you know, the internet is the wild west and I don't have a way to do that. Yeah, so, for sure. so we felt really compelled to think that Zillow was in a really good place. We've got a strong brand, lots of traffic, but we were in a really good place to be that sort of trusted platform where we could, well, you know. Absolutely. You know, and and you don't, you would never say this and, and I wouldn't expect you to, but I, I can say this part and then you can disagree with me or uh, we'll, we'll figure yeah. out how to make this sound appropriate in the final outcome. But if you're a builder who is worried about ratings and reviews because you're bad, I don't feel bad for you. I mean, if you are bad and you're just offering a subpar experience, then you should be honest with the people purchasing said product from you. And that's what it is. So, so yeah. even from my perspective, yeah. I'm much more concerned about the builders who are doing things right and are saying, I'm either not getting the credit I deserve for it, or like you said, there's, they have zero control over their competitor, which again, this is a bad idea to ever do, creating a false review or profile in order to create the appearance of trouble when there really isn't trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're up to, I think, 20 builders that we've brought onto the program so far. Um, and, and many of them have joined on because they, you know, they want to show it. Like they, they do the right thing. They yeah, build it's great homes, <laughs> you know, and they, and they, they're really good at what they do and they want people to know that, right. They want, mm-hmm. and, and so, um, and, and the truth is today, you know, you say that on your own website, how much can someone trust that? But, you know, if it, if it comes brokered through sort of trusted, um, um, you know, third parties like the Zillow brand, like Avid Ratings, um, our partner in this program. Um, oh, hold on, time, time out. So that's a big yeah. deal because we, yeah, we love no, Avid just, and we talk about right data sources and its importance. But so, so you've partnered with Avid as the, as the data source for, uh, or what is driving uh, a large portion of the ratings and review product. Which yeah, is awesome. that, that's exactly right. Avid is Avid is um, is actually doing the hard work in this. They're doing the heavy lifting. They're the ones who are doing the surveying, um, coalescing, you know, those reviews, uh, providing tooling to our, our partners to go in and see those reviews, respond to them, uh, and then they they're then sending that on to us to Zillow yeah. to show no, on fantastic. the site. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great little partnership. Actually, we've, we've really liked working with these, uh, these folks that have it. Well, that's a, um, that's a one plus one equals five, uh, type math problem when you've got the best in the business and ratings and reviews and then the Zillow brand. That's a, that's, that's great. 
Yeah. Yeah. We're really, we're really excited about it. So yeah. And it's, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's totally free on, you know, with your promote community spend. So it's, um, so it's a nice little oh, wow. um, yeah. just addition to, you know, the existing offering, you know, we're not charging anything more for it. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah and I'm sure uh, a couple months or a year from now or so, or probably at the next um, unlock event, you know, you'll have more to say about some of the preliminary results, but I don't know that we've ever talked about this now that I'm thinking about it, but we did. I don't like to talk about it because um, it's it's somewhat embarrassing. But our, you know, when I started working at Do Convert five and a half years ago, Ben, we had no marketing partners uh, at Builders, and so our very first one, he he joined in, but he also owned two golf courses, and he ran a wedding and events business at those golf courses, and so he was like, "Hey, that was his. That was his." extra bonus for being the first one to sign up with this unknown guy named Kevin Oakley is like, can you help me with my wedding business? <laughs> so <laughs> if you're listening, we don't do weddings at you convert. We don't do anything else but home builder stuff, um, except for this guy and his events business. So, but the, the two main lead sources for weddings are the knot and wedding wire. Hmm. And they have ratings and reviews. And hmm. sure enough, we stuck the ratings and reviews that they had, because they had great reviews and summary, like a 5.0 with 89 ratings from Wedding Wire. And so we put that in the corner of their advertisements. And almost overnight, we saw about a 30% bump in the effectiveness of those ads. And um, I guess now we can even say this, I imagine, um, but we even tested with Avid that same thing of putting Avid review uh, hmm. star ratings in the corner of the ads. Because it's it's, even if, the consumer doesn't know what Avid ratings is. They know what four and a half out of five stars is. Yeah. And if they want to learn more about Avid, once they get on the builder site, they could. In your case, I'm sure there's a way to learn more about how the ratings and reviews have gotten there and, yep. uh, and, and how that's worked. And so it is a little bit of a cheat code. It's, it's hard to get that rating. But once you get it, um, you want to apply the, the ratings and reviews to just about everywhere that you can. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we're, um, you know, at least the 20 builders who are on right now, you know, pretty good ratings. Um, you know, I think part of it is we are, we are asking at kind of the sweet spot, I think. So we're asking after move in, just mm -hmm. after move in, sure. um, which is maybe in the journey where, you know, customers are sort of happiest. Uh, uh, but it, uh, uh, it, I think it's becoming a very useful source for our customers, you know, data source for our customers. And, and I think also it's, it's um, putting our partners in really good light too. So, and Absolutely. Avid will give you, it tell all kinds of info on what the, what the ideal rating is, but it turns out it's not five stars. No one, right. no one, no one believes you if you say five stars. Exactly. They, slightly, you know, slightly less than perfect. Actually, that's also a free tip. And I learned this from uh, the predictably irrational author, Dan Ariely. But if you're a single guy and you want to pick up a guy or a gal, then you go to the bar with someone just slightly uglier than yourself. <laughs> you don't want to go with someone really ugly because it doesn't work. You got to go with some, the slightly less attractive version of you. And then exponentially, your chances of getting a date will increase. I love it. I love it. That's, and that's, why, that's why I make a great wingman. <laughs> ben, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, always great to hang out with you. This is a great excuse, but uh, lo love the insight that you brought to the team there at Zillow. Keep making awesome stuff and I'm sure we'll have you back again soon.
Well, thanks so much for having me on. I'm always happy to drop by. I love a good conversation. Oh, wait, wait, no, no, hold on. We need at least two more minutes of talk about the best computer of all time, (laughs) the Apple II series. Yeah. Uh, this is another thing that Ben and I uh, share in our history. I think you're just a couple years older than me, but this is, excites me because normally I was born in 81. And I remember playing uh, Lemonade on my Apple II. There's yeah. a game called Cannonball Blitz that I, I played. Oh, um, that the bell. And uh, Karatika. Did you ever play Karatika? Uh, Karatika. Game? I don't remember Were Karatika. You? No, I don't think so. Oh, man. Um, so I you were probably doing... Of- like real work on your computer. I was just playing video games, but <laughs> no, I don't think. I mean, I don't remember a lot of it. Uh, Oregon Trail, though, I feel oh, like yeah. there's a lot of Oregon Trail. I think yes. there's a lot of like. I still remember the like. Uh, you know, you add everyone. Like you, you've got your caravan, right? Of like mm-hmm. four people, and you add all of their names. And there was this like. I feel like there. I so I, I associate this with middle school, and yes. you sort of there was this like middle school bullying element of like you'd like. You know, I'll add in like Kevin at the bottom because yes. I'm pretty sure because you know the younger, kid, the younger right? the kids' names. Yes, that, I do remember that. Now that you say that, the, the people you didn't like, you would make their ages younger because the chance was higher that they were going to get dysentery and die the younger yeah. that they were. Yeah, yeah. I I grew up basically thinking getting dysentery. You know, <laughs> that was like the most the most common <laughs> ailment. Uh, yeah, no, that. That's good. Yeah, I remember that. You, I mean, you really are aging me because I think about, um, you know, one of the funny things, Kevin, about working in, in tech is that, like, I, so I'm over 40, just slightly over 40, but they, uh, we have affinity groups at Zillow, which are basically kind of for like underrepresented groups in tech. We have these sort of groups. Yep. And in, in tech, you know, you're a minority when you're over 40. So we have an over 40 <laughs> affinity group. That's awesome. Of which I'm a member. And so, yes. uh, you're, yeah, you're, you're out. Yeah, I, feel, I feel like there's, there's got to be a, if you remember <laughs> Push to Talk, we've got a group yeah. for you over here from Nextel. Yeah, exactly. No, That's those awesome. are good days, though. Those are good days. Uh, yeah. It's not, it's not, yeah. And I, okay, last final question. Favorite 80s movie? Oh, Okay. Well, that is a, that's a good one. Uh, hmm. I've been revisiting a lot of these with my daughter, actually. Yes, so it turns out a lot of them don't hold up. Actually, They do not hold up, especially when it comes to their ratings. PG is often like R today. <laughs> like when you're trying to watch a show with your six-year-old, you think? Yeah. Well, I'm going to go with the, an, a, I mean, so I haven't been watching this with my daughter, but The Breakfast Club was, you know, was like a teenage uh, classic for me. Yeah. So, yeah, I watch it probably, you know, back to back. On, you know, that's a good one. Times. The original Karate Kid. I I have not watched that's any of one. the remakes, but the original Karate Kid's pretty high up there. Short Circuit, um, oh, yeah. Adventures in Babysitting, Labyrinth scared the crap out of me as a kid, but I was compelled to watch it over and over. So many good movies in the eighties. Okay. Yeah, all right. We're officially done now, Ben. Thank you for your time, sir. Of course. Have a, have a great rest of your week. And uh, we'll we'll look forward to seeing you in person at a Zillow event in the future. Hope so. And we're back. Thanks again to Ben and the Zillow crew for uh, allowing him to come on and talk about 
kind of the inner workings of, of product development there and, and how they think, as well as answer those computer vision questions, which have been hanging out there for a couple months, because I, I don't know how the computer Zillow looks at pictures, but Ben did. And thank you. Thank you for that. Let's hop over and look at the answers to last week's question of the week, which was, if you could be in a Pulse20 group with anyone, who would it be? And <laughs> most exciting, we're giving away... The camera. A Sony camera right. valued Ooh. at, I think, around 500 bucks. And yeah. the fact that it's touched my fingers for the last <laughs> six months or so, I think it should be worth slightly more than that, you'll, honestly. You'll clean it before yeah. you send it. It's oh, yeah, it'll be time. disinfected. All the coronavirus will be gone. <laughs> the uh, I'll make sure the battery's charged up for you. I'll even throw in a, a, a super high-level uh, memory card. Oh, man. This is but good value. Let's yeah. see. You should autograph it, too. Well, I could do that. I think I have like, a, I draw a unicorn like a on silver it. pen that I could I could do that with. There you let me go. know. You whoever, can sprinkle it with here, glitter a little right bit too. Minute. We got a lot of fun comments here. Mike there Lyon was. kicking it off with uh, he would like to be in a Pulse Twenty group with Bill Murray. <laughs> I don't. He asked. He builds homes, right? I don't think it matters if he builds homes or not. Who wouldn't want to be in a? I just had my kids watch. What about Bob? It was fantastic. Mm. <laughs> I didn't remember how slow that movie is to start, but then once it got going, they were like, dad, this is a truly great movie. Nicole Sands. I think that's how I pronounce your last name. I uh, apologize if it's incorrect. The OSC is a trendmaker homes to share some tips that won their enter now award. Now, Nicole, are you part of said trendmaker homes team or, or I don't know if this is a hype or you actually want to be in that group or, or not. Let's see. Someone want to read a couple off here? Yeah, let's see. Let's see here. Sarah Titus, uh, she seconded Beth's response, which Beth said she wanted to be with the DeYoung crew. So there's yeah. there's a lot of demand for yeah, yeah the DeYoung, Ashley, and Paula because of their presale success. Like what's yeah. I think that was two communities. Eighty percent was it two? I think that th I think they're on their third, third. at this point. Yep. 80% like crazy sellout rates, which is yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And they do a really good job with all their market. I think it's it is the most complete, I feel like. Like they're, they actually talk about the event, the day of the event, the day before. Like there's a lot of excitement they build around it. PR kind of vibe with the community launches. I think it's cool. The way they yeah. Do it. And everyone always comments. They're like, it was so great to see how they did it. This is amazing. Really helpful. P.S. I'm pissed at them because they have a full-time videographer, photographer on their team and I don't. <laughs> and so now I'm sad because I have no yeah. hope of ever creating everyone the type of experience one. that they're making. I feel like everyone needs like. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, Anoth just went full on kiss up Andrew, Becca, <laughs> and Astrid for starters in his group. Um, and Astrid. I, I can't win. I'm Astrid. not going to keep the camera for myself, but I said I would pick the CEOs of the top five home builders in the country by revenue because I just want to hear straight from the top why they basically suck so much at online everything still uh, with all the money they have in their pockets and with really with nothing of love, though, with like 5% judgment. Beth Phillips has a girl crush on Elena Money Garmin. That's a theme that also continued on. Laura mm -hmm. Owenby said Will Duderstadt, Rana Conger, George Strait, Ashley DeYoung, <laughs> and Martha Clifford to round out her table. Dawn Dantzler also wants Elena Money Garmin. I feel like, Elena, you're going to have to make a surprise guest appearance. Maybe what we'll do is just have you show up at different random Pulse 20 groups during breakout sessions just so everyone Ooh. can freak out and get your digital signature and selfie. <laughs> and we'll have a we'll have a It'll Zoom background that you can turn on to get a selfie of yourself with Elena. That yeah. sounds like the plan. <laughs> oh my goodness! 
Might have visited. Uh, oh, oh, Bryce, how about your former employer here? Yeah, well, Dillerstadt and Rhonda Conger. Yeah, that was Carrie. Well, man. Yeah. There are two Cheryl Palmer votes, the CEO of Taylor Morrison. Cheryl, if you fix the logo, I'll sit at your table. But you have the worst logo in home building. That's the only, I just, <laughs> you need to fix it. Is that the, um, it's the people uh, pulling rest, something. Uh, like tug of war? <laughs> yeah. The tug of war logo. Former okay. tug of war. I think they got rid of the rope. Now they just have the people. That was their rebrand. Okay. Invisible tug of war is now what yeah. it is. Yeah. Because okay. <laughs> they're like, all right, uh, Bryce, just read a couple more of these, and then we'll pick a winner here. Sarah said, this is a great question. It makes me realize I can, I need to know a few more people in the industry. Can I go and generally say someone who works for the company of 50% or bigger than ours so I can learn how they grow and scale? All right, Sarah Joyner, ready to blow things up and get bigger. <laughs> oh, Kevin Weitzel, what's going to happen here? Oh, Rebecca, no. Okay. you want to read this one? <laughs> Elon Musk, he's not in the home building industry, although he does have a solid opinion on solar, but he's a mover, a shaker, a skeptical thinker, and some home builders could learn how to get out of their own way from the likes of Elon Musk. I, I never disappoint, Kevin, <laughs> in your comments. They're either insightful or hilarious. Yeah, and sometimes if Elon both. took on home building, that'd be really interesting. Although he'd quickly realize, wow, we need a lot of people to build a home. I can't just like have it come off an assembly line, then it'll get sad. <laughs> and then Brian McCarthy, oh, uh, co-owner of Abrazo Homes, co-owner and founder. All right, I'll be the first to say it. For my group, I choose the 54 supermodels that work at CBH Homes. Rhonda Brian, Congress. you have been reported to <laughs> HR, and uh, good luck. <laughs> they, do All they right. have their own hashtag? There's the Mungo Marketing Chicks. Is there the CBH Marketing Squad? I don't know. I'm sure they do. I'm they sure they to. do. They got so what I'm going to do to pick the winner is I'm going to copy out everyone's name who made a comment, put it in a random, assign each one of you a number from one to however many people made comments, probably looks like about 34 or so, and use a random num number generator. And we'll see here what comes out the other end. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. Enjoy the best housing market ever. We'll see you next week. See ya. Bye. See ya.